Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number... 160. I blanked for a second there, Paul. <laughs> Oof. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Mr. Bestel, you have returned from the wilds of Scotland. How are you? I'm very well. I'm glad to uh, suggest that uh, I've not brought anything home with me, though it could be a little bit too soon to be sure. I mean, you did bring home an adorable Loch Ness monster statue. I did, yes. Yes, to go with my cryptid collection. So it'll uh, take pride of place between uh, the Flatwoods monster and Bigfoot. Fabulous. And you also <laughs> stocked up your library. Tell us tell us a little bit about your, your Edinburgh adventure. Yes. So we, uh, we thought, well, we've got two days, so let's try and fit a week's worth of things into it. Um, <laughs> so I went to uh, a new museum that's only recently opened, which is uh, Folklore, Magic and Witchcraft, which after a bit of tracking down, we, we got into, which had a lovely collection. Like I say, it's only recently opened, so uh, it's fairly new, but that was quite interesting and uh, had, a, had a look around their exhi- exhibits and saw their marvellous collection of Ouija boards. And uh, I've never seen an original Parker Brothers one. Oh, very cool. So that was good with the original planchette and box and everything. And they had loads of witch blessings and spells and knitted items and cursed deflectors and mummified cat and some shoes that had been uncovered out of a building as well, uh, witch marks. So it was a lovely little collection. So that was was pretty good on the Friday. And then 
Saturday, we did the tour of the city and went to the museum, which was marvellous. Saw some wonderful Ghanaian costumes, like a giant crocodile man and celebrations of the dead that they have down in Mexico. So there were some of those outfits in there. So we enjoyed that. It was a beautiful giant totem that was created in conjunction with somebody from British Columbia, strangely enough, which was enormous. Oh, it must have been about 60 feet tall. Holy shit. So that was that was fantastic. And then we did the castle and then we went on a ghost hunt. So I finally got to visit the uh, the site of the infamous Mackenzie poltergeist and saw the mausoleum and had a peer through the, uh, the grills on it. And we had a brilliant tour with um, a company called Old Reeky. Um, which is the old nickname for, for Edinburgh because it used to be quite smelly in the old days. It was uh, very atmospheric, but we had a brilliant guy called Ali and she was phenomenal, really passionate, really friendly, really knowledgeable. And uh, I recommend anybody going there should uh, check them out and, and get on one of their tours because they were brilliant, really enjoyed it. Very cool. Well, for my part, I was invited to dinner by some listeners. That was Chris and Nikki. They had me out to their house in, I think it's called West Island. It's the western part of Montreal. And it was really, really lovely. I, I took a train all the way out to the end of the line. Chris picked me up and they, they cooked me dinner and I, I got to meet their kids. It was a really, really nice time. And I, I got to say, man, that's one of the things I never thought I would do starting this show way back. It never occurred to me that at some point I would get to actually meet people in person because of the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, yeah, I love that. And I, I actually forgot to mention this on the show, but um, I want to say maybe, uh, I think it was, yeah, the reason I didn't mention it on the show is because it happened at the same time as, as the episode with Kev, uh, Behold the Haunted Horse. So it, it just, I wasn't able to work it into the conversation, but I also got to have dinner with another listener, Jen, who was in town from the US and her daughter is a student here, Sophie. So not only did I get to have dinner with Jen, but afterwards, she invited me to Sophie's, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess it's a concert. Sophie's mm. a, a singer. And mm. so I got to attend this very, very uh, fancy concert hall in, I think it's McGill University, and pretend for a moment like I am uh, an intellectual type who enjoys the arts. Yes. Aren't we all? I'm sure going to pretend like I am, and not like <laughs> I'm the kind of guy who watches those movies I told you about earlier. <laughs> Culture is a very wide spectrum. You can enjoy all kinds of facets of it without being exclusively into one particular genre. It really annoys me when people think, oh, well, if you like horror movies, you're not going to like literature. Or whenever you see those discussions where people are talking about their favorite TV programs and some random person pops up and goes, I don't watch telly, I read books. Guess what? You can do both. It's amazing. <laughs> That's true. Gatekeeping is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, come at me if you want to talk about reading books and watching television. I'll have you. <laughs> That's right. And <laughs> at uh, Paramit on the September long weekend, you can fist fight Paul in person if you want. He will... <laughs> I'll fight you off with a, with a copy of a Harry Price book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Beat you to death with Bally Rectory. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, actually, we'll both be there. Paul yes. will be at Paramit. Paul will be at Paramete speaking, but I will also, uh, I will be in attendance. We might even have a table there yet. We're, 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 we might even have a table. We're, we don't have that uh, all set up yet, but it will be the first time Paul and I have been in the same place. So you mm -hmm. should come by and say hi and, uh, and watch Paul give a presentation, which is the main attraction. And I'm very, very excited for. Yes. 
still undecided what to cover yet, but I've got I've got two ideas, and I'm going to see which one excites me the most. So, uh, in between writing a new article for for Haunted Magazine, I'm going to try and get that planned out, along with everything else I'm trying to spin at the minute. You know. <laughs> <sighs> Which leads me to our next agenda item, because that also involves more of your time, which you're very generously giving. <laughs> so, folks, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you'll, you'll know that the shows have gotten longer and longer. And Paul and I love that. We love have, you know, making long shows. But uh, a big part of that has been email. We love covering email. We love talking back to you guys. However, it does make the stories a little hard to get at when you've got a, you know, 40 minutes of preamble before you get there. So what we're going to do, starting with this episode, you may have noticed the runtime for this one is a little bit shorter. We are hmm. going to take the email out of the main show and it will be its own mini show coming out next Tuesday. So you'll get the, the show, which is me and Paul shooting the breeze, reading stories and having a good time as always. And if you want more, me and Paul hanging out, shooting the breeze, you can tune into our email show, which will again come out next week. And then if you don't want the email, you just want the stories and boom, you got the episode right there. And of course, you'll still get Book of the Dead as well. So we're really excited for that. Again, it gives us an opportunity to really kind of dig into email or fun paranormal stories we find without making it harder for people who want stories to just get at the stories. And so that's, uh, again, it's something we've been banding around for a while, trying to figure out a way to make that more accessible. And I'm really, really looking forward to this. Basically, it's, I guess, kind of like the old mini shows. Mm. Uh, will be, yeah, a whole other show, just answering emails. So if you've got something to say, you want it read out on the show, shoot us a line, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We will do our damnedest to get your email on the air. Consider this your opportunity to reach out and haunt somebody. Yes, we'll be filling the gap after the shock news that Unsolved Mysteries have cancelled their podcast. Really? I did not know this. Yeah, I only found this out about three hours ago when I was listening to the latest episode, and it said, this concludes the final season of the Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Oh, it's like, what? Jesus. Hey, that was it. That's all they said. Thank <laughs> you. And you can still send tips to such and such and visit the website. And that was that. And I thought, oh, okay. So I have no idea what's going on there. Oh, wow. If you could have told me any major podcast show that would be closing this year, I would never have said them in a million days. No, that's strange. I mean, they're, they're, I assume the uh, podcast is also run by Netflix because the show is, or is it someone else? Uh, I'm not, they're clearly connected in so, cause it's got the official logo and music and such like. Um, I mean, they've done 80 episodes and they've got about 15 people working on each episode. So I don't know what's happened. Fascinating. Well, I know you and I were talking off air about how podcast advertising is kind of in the shitter right now. And so I, I wonder if uh, maybe they got hit by that too. Maybe the market is just down generally and hmm. they, yeah, they took it on the chin. Yeah, maybe. I think a lot of people don't realize the difference between shows like Unsolved Mysteries and shows like ours, hmm. you know, where Unsolved Mysteries, as you said, that's made by about 12 people. Yeah. So in order for those shows to be profitable, they have to really sell ads. I blame Sunspots. Also that. Yeah. Yeah. Sunspots. Ghost Story Guys. Blame Sunspots. <laughs> This is our official <laughs> position. <laughs> Carrying the torch from Art Bell. <laughs> well, you come here for spooky stories and spooky stories we have. This episode is another fabulous listener story episode. We have, uh, we wanted to get two more in before we started going back to the theme shows. This is the second one. And we have a really fascinating range today. But as always, there is this unexpected through line. And in this occasion... The through line is bedroom intruders. 
Strange Intruders, if we use David Weatherly's uh, book title. Yes. One of my f- favorite David Weatherly books. We mm-hmm. have UFO encounters, but we also have strange visits from humanoid figures, both in the bedroom and out, which makes it sound much, no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> all right. Before we get there, though, we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you're the Gerald to our game, which won't make sense because I had to cut the part where that came up. But trust me, it's very, very funny, and both Paul and I are enjoying it a great deal. (laughs) Patrons, without you, the show does not go. So thank you so, so much for your support. And of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we would especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Sarah Gardner. Paula Townsend. Cheryl Bays. Grandma Painter. Patricia DeFranco. Dave Tolan. Stefan Schwarzwald. Guys, thank you so, so, so much for your generous support of this show. We could not do it without you. And those folks are not only patrons, those are some of those folks are also people who subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. And if you have subscribed to GSG Premiere on, or Premiere or whatever the hell it's called, on Apple Podcasts, forward us your email confirmation with your name, and we will make sure to thank you in the patron shoutouts, because you folks matter just as much, and we want to make sure you have your names read on this show as well. If you want to, of course. If you don't, well then, hey, save yourself an email. But thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who signed up on both Patreon and Apple Podcasts. And of course, Apple Podcasts is essentially the same as Patreon in terms of content. There are some things you don't get, but we like to think that the convenience of having everything in one place in Apple Podcasts makes up for the small amount of programming you're not getting. And while we'll wait till the end of the show to tell you about all the cool things you do get, we will say, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. I mean, our host-read ads are very funny, but most of the ads are just those garbage, dynamic ones that really I hate having in the show. But hey, for a dollar a month, you get to skip past all that bullshit. And again, that's patreon.com slash guys or via Apple Podcasts. One last thing, shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. You can find their music streaming as Rainy Days for Ghosts on streaming platforms everywhere, courtesy of Night Harvest Recordings, which is the Ghost Story Guys house label. And if you want to hire Jerry for your next project, which you should absolutely do, they are an extraordinarily talented composer, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. All right, my friend, it's about that time. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with the stories. The Man Without a Face from Michael. I have a story which is a strange one for me that happened when I was approximately 15 or 16 years old. I'm 43 now. The story, as I recall it, stays quite vivid in my mind. Myself and a few friends used to go camping, but in unusual places like forests, graveyards, and so-called haunted places. I mean, Michael, I will say that sort of, that took a turn because forests, okay, most people camp in forests. Graveyards, okay, that was a sharp deviation. Haunted places, things got very bad. There was a lane near to where I used to live called King's Lane, which was said to be haunted. 
So we set up our tape recorder with mics on the path and got a fire going, then settled down for the night. Then we heard footsteps coming across a speaker via the tape deck. Did you hear that? I said to my mate next to me. Yeah. The steps appeared to walk along the path, right past where we were camped. When they were gone, we shouted over to the other tent. Did you hear that? They replied they had heard someone walking past. It was about 2 a.m. and we all sat there, scared, until someone got the balls to go out and have a look. There was nobody about. We chatted for a minute, and now, buzzing awake, went back to our tents. The next sound we recorded was some church bells, at 3 a.m. There was a church nearby, but who would be ringing the bells at this ungodly hour? None of us wanted to get out, so we all huddled up and eventually fell asleep. What happened next was even stranger. We all woke up and talked about what happened the night before, listening back to the recordings, and we captured not only footsteps and bells, but choir singing and voices. We packed up our stuff and decided to go venture over the fields towards the church. Everyone but me was up the embankment, scrambling over the fence into the field. I had clambered up the embankment and lost my footing, falling back down. I landed on my hands and knees facing down the lane. This was when I saw the person, in the same position as me, in what I assume was a blue tracksuit. I stood up and composed myself, thinking I was going to get told off, when the person did the same. As I looked, I realized it had no face, just darkness where a face should be. I put my hands back on my knees, thinking someone was messing with me, and they copied me. Standing back up again, I said, Hey, what do you want? They stood up and said nothing. I turned to run up the embankment to where I could hear my friends' voices, and when I looked back, no one was there. I told my friends what had happened, and a few lads ran down either end of the lane to find this joker. When they came back, they said nobody was around, and they could not have gotten far, as both ends of the lane opened out onto a main road. Do you remember a, a paranormal show hosted by a guy named Dave Barrett? Yes. So I, I didn't include it in the story. I it just got left off at the end, but they mentioned that they had sent the recording in to Dave Barrett. Yeah, I think he was a very well-known local DJ. Oh, okay. Okay. So did he do like a paranormal thing? Is Was that his... And on Friday nights, I think they used to do like uh, scary stories on Friday night. People would... Um, it was clearly influenced a lot by Art Bell, as, as a lot of things like that were in... I think it was, you know, talking 20, 25 years ago, I would suspect. Okay. It certainly rings a bell. That makes sense. If they were sending a tape, then, yeah, it would be, ah, oh, 25 years ago. <laughs> hey, cassettes are, are cool again. Well, I suppose so. Yeah, I, I've, I've bought, well, I, I, for other people, I've bought some Synthwave stuff on cassettes. So, okay. I feel better about that now. The Laserdisc next. No, I refuse. We've, that is too eight far. A-track. Well, maybe, maybe A-tracks, maybe A-tracks. <laughs> Although, Josh, that's, that's a lot of technology. I used to have an A-track player in my basement at my mom's house. And that thing was the size of a, of a Buick. <laughs> Practically had a pull start on it. <laughs> Crankshaft. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> Contact, yeah. Quick, get Sergeant Pepper on. <laughs> so I, I was thinking about this story. I mean, this, this kind of sounds, uh, I, I don't know, this, this sounds like one of those like high strangeness areas. You know, you've got sort of mimics, you've got sounds out of time, unless there was just some kind of crazy, you know, midnight mass, 3 a.m. mass thing going on, which, I mean, if they're Catholics, as a fellow Catholic, I recognize you can't rule that out entirely. 
it'd be interesting to know if if this occurred because I, I presume this happened in the UK somewhere. So it'd be interesting to find out where it was. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even. So Dave Barrett was a UK thing. I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just assume these things are all American. I don't know why I do that. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Radio Bristol, he was. Oh, shit. Yeah, he passed away, incredibly, 14 years ago. So, yeah, he had, according to this, Dave's hugely successful slot on GWR, where listeners rang in with their problems, achieved the highest audience figures of any late-night phone-in program in the country. Holy crap. I'm going to say, I didn't, I've not heard from him for a while, and that would be why. Sadly, he's passed away a long, fair, fair bit ago. Yeah, I mean, the only way you might hear from him now is using that uh, Ouija board we just posted in the Ghost Three Guys <laughs> Facebook group. I'll, I'll include a link to that in the show notes, guys. He, he, just, after, just, just quickly, you guys got to think, check this thing out. It's uh, clearly a satirical Ouija board someone made that claims to connect you directly to Jesus. Uh, and it's a real thing. You can, you can buy it. It's not cheap. Uh, but the planchette is a crucifix it's it's a whole thing so yeah i'll include a link in the show notes uh, there's also a link in the ghost three guys uh on the ghost three guys facebook page but uh, on the subject of the the mimic thing i was just thinking i just watched this movie for weird together uh which if you folks don't know weird together is the horror movie podcast that i do with joseph camo of the cardinal rule and basically we we, we try to re- review independent films we try to celebrate independent horror films and usually we don't review something unless I've watched it first and thought, no, this is worth talking about. Because I don't want to bag on independent movies, right? Because these are made for very little money, you know, with people really who are passionate about what they're doing. But there is this one I watched and it's, it's the best kind of bad movie because it doesn't know it's bad. Except for one character who very clearly has taken the red pill and woken up from the Matrix and knows exactly what kind of movie he's in. It's, it's like watching Quantum Leap. If Scott Bakula was leaping into B-movies and the person he leapt into became the only self-aware person in the entire film. And the film is called Forest of Death. And it's about these kids who go at an Airbnb off in the, you know, the forest of death. And the owner tells them eventually, if you hear something calling you from the woods in the voice of one of your friends, don't go. Now, I got to tell you, Paul, if I'm anywhere and someone says to me, BT dubs, Something will call you from the forest. I'm gone before you can finish the sentence. <laughs> yes. Folks, Forest of Death, it's so much fun. Check out the episode of Weird Together. It'll be out in two weeks. Uh, it just, yeah, it, it's not a great movie, but the idea that a mimic would call you from the forest and you just go, oh, well, I already paid for this place, so I'm going to stick around a little bit longer. Just blows my mind. So, Michael, the fact that you guys stuck around after hearing church bells and someone walking past your uh, walking past your tent, and then seeing basically someone who should have your face but doesn't, you are of a sterner disposition than me, my friend. The Black Triangle from Ray. I was outside one evening, tired, stressed young dad, working hard as a bus electrician, trying to raise two children on a single wage. I was stood looking at the house I worked so hard to keep, thinking I'd done okay for a kid from a rough council estate to have my own house despite the hardships we were under. A deep rumbling noise caught my ear, and as I looked for the source of it, a large black triangular object, much larger than a regular aircraft, loomed into view over the houses across the street. It was large, black, unlit, and oddly seemed to be generating its own swirling clouds as it proceeded quite slowly across the sky. Our house was under an approach path to Manchester Airport, 
so we were familiar with aircraft, but this was moving in the opposite direction. It rumbled off into the distance. I went back inside, but I didn't feel the need to share what I had just witnessed. I may have been trying to make some sense of it. I don't know. I looked in the papers for a few days to see if anyone else had reported anything, but they hadn't, which I found hard to believe. It was huge, noisy, and not exactly inconspicuous. I've never resolved this. So, Paul, I, I gotta know, is this something you've heard of before? I figure if anyone's going to have heard of Black Triangles. <laughs> yeah, um, that particular part of the UK is notable hotspot because it's, it's not far from here, really. As the crow flies, it's probably about 50, 60 miles. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. So essentially, once you leave Manchester, you head in straight into the Peak District. And then obviously, if you carry straight on, you'll reach Sheffield. So the Peak District has a long history of strange things being seen in the skies. Um, Jenny Randalls did a lot of work, and Dr. David Clark has as well, about uh, some of the sightings over there. It's, it's a renowned hotspot for strange things in the sky. Do they have the same, same sort of MO of something that should be much more of a big deal being seen by only one or two people? There's some very odd sightings over there. Um, there's a very infamous sighting that occurred in a in a village in the in the 90s, which was witnessed by tens of people who thought that they were all watching a plane on fire. Um, but there was oh. nothing, um, and everybody it was brushed off as as people misidentifying a meteor, I think. And then people were saying it had crashed. There was a there was a sonic boom. The RAF denied being out, and then they had had to admit that they were because the sonic boom got caught in a seismograph. Oh, wow. And then loads of alien hunters <laughs> turned up in this little Peak District village bothering everybody, asking them about the UFO that had crashed. <laughs> it was a cra crazy time in the Peaks in the late, it's about 1997, I think it was. Interesting. So all that trouble pre-internet, imagine what it'd be like now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was seen from one side of Sheffield all the way into the Peak District. So it flew, whatever it was, it, it flew across the city. Um, it's one of those because I was in Sheffield at the time and didn't know anything about it. So it's it's odd, <laughs> to say the least. But, um, but yeah, Jenny Randalls did a lot of work in the 80s and 90s covering numerous cases. Obviously, Todd Madden, where Alan Godfrey had his experiences further up, but not too far away from that particular area. So there are quite a few, and there's a very infamous sighting that happened in the Manchester area where a, a UFO was spotted by a woman that landed in her in a field behind her garden in mid-afternoon in the uh, 80s. So um, it's, it's always been an area of uh, strange things in the sky. So I'm not surprised to, I'm quite surprised that um, we don't hear more about that, but that, that story doesn't surprise me at all. If it was going to happen anywhere in the UK, it would be in that particular area. Fascinating. So with, with the one that landed in the woman's backyard, what happened after that? She was taken aboard and, and all sorts. Um, Philip Mantle did a lot of work in that particular case, and he, he covered it extensively in his recent UFO UK landings book. It's a, it's a fascinating story. And one, I wasn't aware of the depth of, of the actual encounter. So it's... Uh, Remarkable, really. There are there are lots and lots of strange things that have been reported in that particular area over the years. The whole abduction thing fascinates me because I know, you know, you and I have talked about this many times. When I first read Communion, I found myself thinking, well, this kind of reads like dream logic. 
But then of course I learned more about, about the good folk mm. and their, you know, penchant for, uh, taking people on little Gilligan Islands-esque three hour tours, so to speak. Mm. And I started to think, well, maybe that's what's behind this. And I, and I know that's become a, it's sort of a prevailing theory in a lot of circles, has it not? Um, I think some people hark back to, well, it, it, it depends. There are some people who claim that nobody sees fairies and goblins anymore. And obviously I now know that that's not true. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it, for our listeners, check out Joe Hickey Hall's The Modern Fairy Sightings podcast. Yeah. She's a terrifying story on a recent encounter of a woman who moved to London and uh, was harassed by some goblin. Oh, really? In her flat. Funny you say that because we have a goblin story coming up also from Ray, the same person who reported this story. I think some people have kind of tried to suggest that people see aliens instead of fairies these days because it's a cultural expectation. So right. it, it's, it's one of those things where because they try to dismiss it all as, as some self-induced hallucination or whatever. But if people are seeing aliens and fairies, then that's not the case, is it? No, I suppose not. Unless it's a really elaborate series of costumes one way or the other. Well, yes, of course. I mean, and there are people who just claim that all strange creatures are simply projections of what people expect to see by some particular entity, which I think is one of those catch-all explanations for people who can't be asked. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that sort of eventually boils down to demon. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Ray. And uh, we're looking forward to reading your next story here coming up. Culloden Battlefield from Jeanette. I will try to keep this short. A couple of times I have heard Paul mention his feelings about Culloden. I have visited several times during Scottish holidays as a child with my family, as my father was drawn there. It is both picturesque and haunting, in all weathers and times of day. In August 1985, I was on holiday with my two sisters and our partners. I married that November my partner, Tony, a police officer. One day, the men went together to walk the battlefield of Culloden, go to the visitor's center, and so on. We ladies left them to it, having visited many times with our parents. My husband is a very tall, stocky, jovial guy, once met, never forgotten, with a wonderful smile and lovely blue eyes. Also, he's not one to tell yarns or untruths. When the men returned, I knew Tony was not right. His sparkle was not in those eyes, his smile not as wide. Although he and the men told us of their day and enjoyment of the trip, the others did not seem to notice the change in Tony. Later, when we were alone, Tony told me, on arrival, that he stepped out of the minibus we had hired, and as his feet hit the ground, he nearly passed out. He had to grab the wing mirror for support until the feeling receded enough for him to continue. Also, he worked hard to hide this from his companions. Typical of Tony, not an emotional sharer with many. The Battle of Culloden, which took place on 16 April 1746, was part of a civil war that would decide the ruler of Great Britain and ultimately have a global impact. It saw over 1,500 lives lost in the space of an hour. When Tony read this, he knew why he felt so emotional and connected the entire time he was there. Tony was born on the 16th of April, 18, 1946. The battle was 16th April, 1746. 1,500 lives lost in one hour, all those years ago. He still remembers every detail, 
of this visit to this day, and rarely shares it as he finds it too emotional in the telling. It brings all those dreadful feelings that he had when his feet touched the earth of Culloden. And thank you for sharing that one, Jeanette. What do you think about that, Paul? I'm not surprised. How so? A lot of people got killed there. That was essentially the, um, the end of Bonnie Prince Charlie's attempt to wrestle the English, or the British throne back to, uh, oh, okay. to his family. It, it was the last pitch battle. Battle? The last pitch <laughs> battle fought in the UK. Oh, okay. It, it destroyed the Jacobite rebellion. And uh, and that was the end of that, to put it mildly. So uh, yeah, the the uh, they almost. I mean, they got as far down as Derby, and then changed their mind and started heading back to Scotland. And the king was really annoyed, so he called loads of troops back from Europe, and they just chased them all the way to Scotland and uh, assassinate. I mean, it, it's supposed to be quite a, a a bloody battle in regards to to. They were just basically they they were trying tried running off, and they were just taking them down and just killing people even when they were running away they were just massacring them oof okay yeah no that would that would make a place feel heavy and unpleasant plenty of blood was spilt that day i I have some friends who went to gettysburg and and i know we've uh, we've had some folks sent in stories from gettysburg it is something that we still intend to do but uh i've had some friends who visited there recently and they said it was or not, i mean before the winter but they said it, it, there was another place it's just the the heaviness hangs in the air and I, I don't know that I've ever been to a famous battlefield, so I, I've never experienced that sort of sense of fog. I, I actually think there was a, on Paranormal 911, I think there was, an, uh, there, was, oh, there was another famous battlefield where police would respond and they would sometimes see soldiers there and then they, were, they would disappear shortly thereafter. And there's a few stories over here of people claiming to see the ghosts of, of soldiers reenacting fights, especially from the English Civil War in the uh, 17th century though some of those would some of them tend to be exaggerations of events it's still reported but it's one of those things people say they see cavaliers and roundheads all over the place but what they see doesn't bear resemblance to what people actually used to look like it looks like the dramatized version of what a cavalier or a roundhead would look like where essentially they just look the same they just wore different colors Oh, okay. So what people are seeing is, is the more popular media interpretation of those things? Yeah. So they see a cavalier with a big wig and the feathered hat and flashy clothes and roundheads would be wearing dour cloth and, and metal helmets. And essentially they were both wore the same uniforms. They just had, what, I think one wore blue and one wore red sashes to differentiate them. So what do you think that suggests about what people are seeing? Do you think they're not seeing anything do you think they're false reports or do you think it's something else entirely i think a few of them will be false reports or they're misidentifying uh, okay. they're seeing something and presuming it incorrectly to be right. a cavalier or a roundhead because you, you can't <laughs> i mean the the thought that you would imagine that people would ride out ride out to battle on a horse in this country where it rains wearing a wig galloping on a horse on an uneven ground on a battlefield waving a sword about is plainly ridiculous that people could even imagine that that was possible. I, I, I think we sort of have these, I, yeah, very wrong-headed notions about how, how battle and such things were conducted generally. You know, because again, I think all of our experience about this comes from media. So we'll, yeah. we'll watch a movie, we'll see, oh, this is what they look like. So this must be the way it looks. You know, mm -hmm. this must be, because they dress everyone up for dramatic effect for, you know, to make it look cool. 
but then people kind of take the historical reference from these things. Mm. Like I, I remember yes. th there's that story about uh, the cop that uh, was it, what was his name? Dave Toskey. He was a cop that Bullet was that that um, Steve McQueen based Bullet on. And you know he he wore his gun in a particular way, and so McQueen adopted that when he when he portrayed Bullet. But then cops generally started dressing like that and or, or wearing their weapon like that. And apparently it was one of those things that kind of got perpetuated from just from Bullet from from a movie. And I, I actually read this article a while back that said a lot of cops base their personas on movies they watched coming up. <laughs> and be, as this sort of continues, it you you've got the cycle of of you know law enforcement kind of drawing their the way they kind of portray themselves from media, which is itself drawn from cops, which is itself drawn from media. So there's this this weird, complete you know f copy of a copy of a copy distortion of how people are behaving just because of this weird game of telephone. And yet nobody's used Drebin. <laughs> oh, 2023, I feel like there's a chance. <laughs> that is a naked gun, folks. Ask your grandparents or just watch the movie. It is wonderful. <laughs> One for the kids there. Y yes, exactly. Yeah, naked gun like Wu-Tang is for the children. <laughs> Thanks again, Jeanette. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Golden Eyes, from Jason. I live with my girlfriend and our three kids in a suburb just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. As a child, I had my own share of paranormal experiences, seeing ghosts in my backyard, the odd knocks and shadow monsters. As an adult, my experiences are few and far between, but this is a more recent story that I'm not sure is labelled as paranormal, seeing as the experience happened with a lucid dream, which I learned to do through meditation, although most times it happens by accident after waking up in the middle of the night and going right back to sleep. It felt like reality to me. It was the middle of December 2022, and the kids had been talking about monsters constantly for weeks, which isn't odd for children, and they didn't even seem afraid. Until bedtime, of course. 
One night I woke up around 2.30am to our two-year-old daughter screaming and crying. I went to check on her. She was still asleep, but tossing and turning. Obviously terrified by whatever dream she was having. I walked in and knelt down to console her. and did the only thing I could think of. Not being a religious person, but spiritually open to all realms of reality. In my mind I said, Please leave this child alone. She is protected by the light of love. You are not welcome here. I then sat with her for a good 10 or 20 minutes until she seemed her peaceful sleeping self. This is when my own experience happened. I went back to sleep and then later on I woke up. Or so I thought. I was in my bed, my girlfriend still next to me fast asleep and then I looked at the clock directly across from the bed which read 3.45am but the hands weren't moving. This was my first clue that I was in a dream so as usual, I let the dream flow to figure out what was happening. In lucid dreams, one of the keys is to remain calm and try not to bring conscious attention to the dream. Because once your brain realises you're dreaming, you'll wake up. Brains are weird. So I decided that I want to get up. Then it hit me. I couldn't move. I tried to open my mouth. Nothing. I tried to lift my arms. Nothing. I then saw a figure appear in the corner of the room near the doorway. It slowly edged closer, blurry at first, but the closer it got, the more weird and monster-like it looked. Still remaining calm, I watched this giant seven or eight foot jet black scale-like skin creature with massive hands and fingers that twisted and got wider towards the base walk up to the edge of my bed. The face was sunken with golden eyes, tiny pupils and a half grin. It bent down and just scooped me up in one arm, like I'm some type of stuffed animal and not a 200 pound man. The disrespect. I still can't move, in my head, I've got to wake my girlfriend. I don't know why I thought that'd help, but in that few moments that felt like eternity. I internally repeated to myself, this is a dream you can move, until I was finally able to move an arm free, and started slamming it against the wall in my room to wake her up knocking down my paintings and various items on top of the bookshelf. It had almost taken me out of the doorway of our room and then a light switched on, and I was immediately dropped onto the hardwood floors. Everything went black and I woke up in my bed. I looked at the clock and it was 3.45am and I could move. I turned the bedside light on and there was a pain in my right arm, the same one I was banging against the wall in my dream, but the paintings I had knocked down were still hanging up and everything I knocked over was still in place. My girlfriend thinks it could have been whatever our daughter was dreaming about, coming after me since I had told it it wasn't welcome in our home, or maybe my imagination is very wild. But whatever it was, it hasn't been back since, that I'm aware of. So thank you for sharing that, Jason. And uh, speaking of nightmares, that is going to live in mine. <laughs> That's a bit freaky, isn't it? This idea of something picking you up like a sack of potatoes and carting you out of your room. I, I, I can't imagine anything worse. Carrying you off like Bigfoot with a hog. <laughs> or a forest bride. <laughs> Willow Creek. Yep, Willow Creek. <laughs> 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 and we actually, we had a message from Charlie, our listener, Char uh, Charlie. He recommended the movie Hunted a while back. And he, uh, he wrote me an email and he said, hey, did you ever watch that? And... I, I thought I had mentioned it on the show, then I realized I'd mentioned it on Weird Together, and that's when I realized this is the problem of having multiple podcasts, 
is I can hardly remember whether I've mentioned something on this show or a patron show. Now I have to remember this show, a patron show, or that other movie show I do. <laughs> so, yes, Charlie, I, I did watch Hunted, and I will say it's pretty good. It's a solid Bigfoot movie. But, man, Paul, as you and I both know, good Bigfoot movies are hard to come by. They are few and far between and as rare as a real Bigfoot sighting. <laughs> Except in the UK, where that guy's just everywhere. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> no comment. As always, it's the best way to be. That's fair. The golden eyes thing, though, and I was, I was trying to remember, I feel like we've, we've come across that at some point before. Yes. Yeah, it does. It seems familiar. I'm sure we were talking about it fairly recently, and we were talking about other entities, about certain colors they have, like red eyes and, and blue eyes. Yeah, that's, that sounds right. I'm just having a quick look through, uh, through our our archive here to see if there's another story that has uh, gold. Ah, so there was, there was a story from All Aboard the Dream Train from Dog Chomp about a creature. Yeah, this was also a dream. They said, I remember also as a child when something I'd say of Indonesian descent slipped out of my closet to peer at me. It looked like how they sculpt their gods and goddesses in stone, but the figure was golden. So obviously that's, that's gold all over. It's not just the eyes, but Interesting that, uh, you know, that, that that's not isolated. Yeah. I would imagine there are more stories that don't fit the normal cliched red-eyed monster stomping about. I have to say, when I heard Goldeneye, my immediate thought was the N64 game. Yes, there's something about that term that just evokes singing in my head. Singing. Interesting. So I, I, I assume that has to be the theme song to Goldeneye, or is this just unrelated, unrelated singing? Like Just just the term just made, made me think, Goldeneyes. I don't know why. Interesting. Well, check the Ghost Story Guys soundtrack for Paul Bestel singing her hit new single, Golden Eyes. <laughs> Baba Boom. <laughs> oh, man. Lounge singer Paul Bestel. I want to see this at that conference in September. Got a leisure suit on. You like Doug Stanhope, just without all the hopelessness and, on, and alcoholism. <laughs> I've actually got a ticket to see him in about two weeks' time uh, at the National Theatre here in Montreal. And I'm really curious because I've only ever seen Doug Stanhope on stage once and before this. And that was at Joe Rogan's. Uh, and I know I'm not a real Joe Rogan fan, guys. This was, this was before Joe Rogan really became the Joe Rogan he is now. But it was his end of the world show on election night 2016. I've mentioned it before. But Stanhope was there and he made a joke about his partner splitting her head open and ending up in the hospital. But then we realized he wasn't joking. That had actually just happened. And he had come from the hospital nearest to wherever it was. They live in Bisbee, Arizona. So she was at that point out cold and he had come to do the show anyways. And he started crying on stage and it was the strangest thing. It was such an odd show. That just sounds weird. It was an odd night. Marilyn Manson was in the back as emotional support for him. <laughs> what? Yeah. He, he refused to come out, but Marilyn Manson was sit apparently sitting in the back. You know, he was Stanhope's emotional support animal, I guess which is fascinating knowing what we know about Manson now. So, you know, let's not dig into that too deeply. But uh, anyway, so we got all very far away from, from Jason's story. But uh, now I'm sort of imagining that the figure looming over him was in fact Doug Stanhope with golden eyes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason. The guy from Stefan. My family found your podcast whilst road tripping from Minnesota to California, Disneyland, and we love it. My kids are young, nine and five. Oh, God. Stefan, I'm sorry, man. I, ooh, okay. Your kids have heard some stuff. I trust you. You're a, you're a capable parent. 
Paul, the notion that children that small are hearing the things I say alarms me greatly. I'm glad you quantified the fact of what you say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you you have to live with your own sins, my friend. (laughs) Yes, they're not for airing on here. No, although you're not, although I'm the only one who's had someone single me out in a review for being a shit, so. (laughs) Thanks, mom. (laughs) That handsome bestial boy and that other bastard. (laughs) That knuckle-headed canuck. Yeah, exactly. That bald degenerate. You know what they say about them from British Columbia? No, well, I mean, if it's good, it's not true. If it's bad, that's very possible. (laughs) <laughs> I did grow up with a number of people who have proven to be career criminals. So, you know, hey. Join the club. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess, yeah. You, you Actually, you have the market cornered on that, really. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my people are not as impressed. Anyways, we should get back to Stefan's story. Yes. Uh, uh, Stefan, are you still there? Good. Hello. Uh, my, my kids are young, nine and five. Oh, God. So I always hesitate to bring up too much on the subject of ghosties and ghouls, etc., as I don't want to scare them too much. I have been listening for months and have always wanted to write in. Here is my first experience with something that tormented me in my teenage years. I have been in tune with the weird since a very young age. One of my first memories was a near-death experience in which I remember seeing a neon blue light and then gaining consciousness back in my body after a golf club hit me on the side of the head. Holy shit, dude. That was my first memory. Growing up in a suburb of St. Paul, Minnesota, I grew up down the street from White Bear Lake. White Bear Lake, Minnesota has some awesome haunted history and legit cool stories about Prohibition-era gangsters spending the summer. Very big ones, like Al Capone and so on. The story of how White Bear Lake got its name is worth looking up. It might help bring light onto what happened to me and my family in the house I grew up in. Minnesota has popped up in my favorite show, Supernatural, a few times, with Wendigos and Werewolves. It also has been the subject of a few of your shows. I heard a mini-episode about the Mississippi where a very similar phenomenon approached someone. One hot summer night in 2004 is when it started. I would always see weird things and hear even stranger things around my childhood neighborhood. My older brother and I were up to dastardly deeds that night. Things 14-year-old boys in the suburbs do. Nothing more than toilet papering houses, minor prank stuff like that. That night we were going out and I had on netting camouflage that I would use to hold the TP. We went out after dark, and I noticed when I bent down that the TP was on the other leg. I didn't switch it. We did our deed about a mile away, and made it back right as a train was going by. My parents lived next to train tracks. That's when we first saw... the guy. I saw a seven-foot-tall, glowing humanoid shapeshift and levitate toward me. It had black eyes and a black mouth and it was walking towards me, and the way it looked seemed to change as it got closer. I screamed and pointed at him and said to my brother, There's a guy! We ran, and I looked back, and he taken on a more human form and floated onto the train tracks. Terrified, we ran behind a path to our house so no one or thing would know where we lived. My brother and I regrouped and said, What the fuck was that? to each other. I started to go on, but... I was annoying my older brother, who must not have wanted to listen to 14-year-old me chirp in his ear. We said nothing much more and went into our separate bedrooms, and after the adrenaline wore off, we fell asleep. 
The next day, I got a call from my close friend. The first thing he said was, Did you see a guy run at you by the tracks? I froze. Hello, my friend said. How the fuck did you know? I said. He explained to me he'd had a dream and described very closely what happened and what I saw. More about this friend on another occasion as he moved into a legit haunted house. I have a lot more stories about the spirit we named The Guy, but wanted to start with the first experience I had with him and other separate, not quite in our timeline, almost translucent neighbors. I love the pod and would be so pleased if it made it on the show. Well, Stefan, it made it on the show. Thank you so much. And of course, you are also now a patron of the podcast. Thank you very much for that. And what do you think of that one, Paul? Very creepy. Very creepy. I thought you were going to test me on why White Bear Lake's called that. <laughs> I, I mean, yes. Also, tell us this as I quickly well, Google so I can nod my head. <laughs> it, well, there are two versions of the story. Uh, involves a Native American couple who went to meet on the lake. Uh, an island in the lake, and as they arrived, they were attacked by a great white bear. Now, there are two versions. Mark Twain did a version of it, which changed the ending, because the ending in the original story, I think the groom died and the bride survived. The bear killed him. But in the Mark Twain version, the groom kills the bear, and they skin it, and everybody lives happily ever after. And therefore, after that, it would be known as White Bear Lake. I feel like it's telling about the nature of American history that the version of a story where something has its skin ripped off is the happy version. <laughs> so then we killed it and we wore its skin as a trophy. Everyone smiled the end. All right. <laughs> uh, but uh, moving on from that, yeah, that's very odd because um, that particular part of, of, of the country is not known for things outside of the normal i mean obviously it's wendigo country but this clearly isn't that um so yeah it's it's very odd and there's something about seeing creatures near train tracks yeah i, I always had this this pet theory about things like train tracks and and roads i always wonder if they are you know we build them in these places because they are the most logical place for these things to go but i wonder if that also is true for other kinds of energetic travel, other kinds of, you know, say spirits or whatever, that, you know, these things would also pass along these most likely roads. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, this is why we tend to have more, more stories like this from train tracks or from places like that, you know, even game trails, you think, you know, these, these are sort of natural pathways. Yeah. And if there is this other world kind of beneath ours or on top of ours, that, you know, th they would still have to take similar paths through the world. Absolutely. You would follow the path of least resistance. Even animals would do that or creatures from beyond, surely. Something that really jumped out at me too is how the, this thing changes shape. Mm. It kind of goes from, you know, sort of seven foot tall Kobe Bryant size down to, you know, sort of the normal size, you know, like walking down the train tracks. And I, I wonder why that is. Yeah. You don't hear that very often. Very few encounters where you see something change size. I've heard of things increasing in size, but not often shrinking. Unless it's cold out. <laughs> well, if it's, if it's in Minneapolis, it'll be cold. I'll tell you that much. This is very true. Also, Stefan's kids cover your ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, after having come back from a lengthy edit, we can say, Stefan, thank you very much for sharing. And uh, we look forward to hearing more stories about the guy. 
The Grey Dread from Ray. We took our small children to Two Swords Waxworks in Blackpool one day, a fun and unremarkable trip. As we made our way through the exhibits, near the end, which was sci-fi type stuff, I rounded the corner and looked down the short corridor of this gallery. There, at the exit, I saw a statue of the quintessential grey alien. I was utterly stopped dead in my tracks with an inexplicable and all-consuming terror. Struck dumb, I was rooted to the spot, but realised I had to get past it to get out. My wife was unconcerned, but puzzled as to why I couldn't move and I couldn't explain. She went on ahead, and I had to force myself to push the baby chair past this thing. Every step I took closer ramped up the skin-crawling terror until it was at fever pitch as I passed it. Immediately as I did, the feeling switched off like a light. I've never been able to rationalise this. I was familiar with UFO lore, read many books and never had any reason to think I had ever encountered such a being. Looking at pictures or movies featuring did and does not concern me. However, this one time filled me with the worst kind of horror, and I don't know why. Later, in 2013, I was working as a service manager for a water treatment company. I was required to go to Cardiff to address some issues at the wastewater treatment site. I was staying a couple of nights in the Future Inn Hotel, not far from Cardiff Waterfront. On the first night, I went to sleep in my nice mini-suite. I woke in the small hours and looked around the room. I saw a dim figure at the end of the drawer unit opposite my bed. It resolved quite clearly into a small, malevolent-looking being, dark-skinned goblin-like figure about two foot tall, with luminous yellow eyes and wrinkly skin. Think Yoda from Star Wars, but much more unpleasant-looking and unfriendly. This being looked around the room, stayed in place, but looked actively around it. I was transfixed. Not afraid, but incredulous at what I was seeing. It looked around and then it saw me, at which point I found the pull cord for the light. It went on, and of course there was nothing there. I lay awake all night trying to reconcile what I had seen. The next night nothing happened and I slept like a log and left the next day. I found it hard to share what I had seen with my partner when I got home. I saw this entity once again couple of years later in our bedroom between the bed and the window. Never since. So thank you for sharing Ray. And he sent us a number of stories. Obviously, we shared the Black Triangle already. And in the original document, those weren't together. But I think they're connected. So I, I combined them. And I, I actually emailed Ray back and I mentioned this. And he said that his experience with the gray statue was sometime before seeing the thing in his bedroom. But I kind of think that being that he saw the thing in his bedroom more than once, I wouldn't be surprised if he had maybe been visited by something like that in the past, but it has just gone from his conscious memory. And that wouldn't it, surprise me. Yeah, I was thinking that, like his reaction to the gray was not specifically to grays, but sort of the subconscious association with this thing that would come show up in his room. I mean, there are numerous people who have a situation where something that they they seem very familiar with and aware of, and in certain circumstances, they find it completely terrifying and they don't understand why or what's triggered it. So it's odd, as Ray points out, that he's fully aware of what it was. He knew what it referred to. He's read about it, seen it, 
doesn't frighten him. But in that one particular moment, maybe it was the lighting, the the closeness of the corridor that created a a memory buried deep inside that's triggered something that caused such fear. Oh, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. You know, a, a friend of mine is is reading this book, and I think it's called uh, Scattered Minds by Gabor Mate. He's a doctor out of the downtown east side in Vancouver. And he talks, he's been talking about uh, ADD and ADHD and childhood trauma. And he was talking about how, and my friend was telling me this, I haven't read the book yet. I've got it on my Audible list. But she was saying that in the book, Mate talks about how things that happen to kids get internalized so quickly. You know, there's, there's this notion, oh, kids are tough. You know, they, they, they can take it because they don't show the damage right away, the psychological damage. But in actual fact, it just gets buried deep and becomes uh, a minefield, essentially an emotional minefield later. Yeah. And I think because we've always had this focus on just suck it up and move forward, I think we don't think enough about things like this, you know, about little, little bombs that can blow up at some point. And I mean, if you're not careful, like if, if you're in recovery or if you are trying to work your way through trauma those little bombs can really throw you off. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how little things can trigger emotional impacts, such as a song or even a fragrance or a, or a sign, or you even just see something in the street that can take you to somewhere that you've not even, you've probably not thought about for years and it can take you somewhere great. And I would imagine it will obviously take you somewhere awful as well. If, if you've repressed whatever that reminds you of somehow. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I was having a conversation with someone recently. I won't say who, but we were talking about, uh, we were, we were talking about this one situation and they just very casually mentioned something to me and they didn't mean anything by it, but the way they phrased it just triggered this deep anxiety in me from a different mm -hmm. part of my life. And it was shocking to me how quickly the, that response came back. Like I, I my immediate response was to act in a way that I typically do not act. Mm -hmm. or at least not anymore, you know, sort of this panic and, and this feeling of pressure and, and, and being stuck and, and, you know, all this other shit that I'm not going to get into here. But it took me a little while to come down because, I, you know, you have to kind of tell yourself, I don't need that, that response behavior anymore because the danger is not there. Yeah. You know, but it, 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 sometimes you don't even realize why you're reacting a certain way. That's why I suggested this to Ray because I thought, even though you, you may not see a direct connection, I do kind of wonder if, yeah, if... You've seen this thing twice after. I wonder if you have also seen this thing before. But again, this is all just subconscious awareness. Yeah, definitely. And it, it was something else Ray said that I, I just wanted to comment on. And, uh, you know, Ray was, again, Ray sent quite a lengthy email with a number of different stories, which we really appreciate, Ray. And, you know, through it all, he just, he's talking about his different jobs and he, he describes himself, as I recall, as sort of a, as a blue collar guy. And I really like that people who, who work all kinds of different jobs can enjoy what you and I do. You know, the, the, this, cause, cause obviously you and I grew up pretty blue collar mm -hmm. and I mean, obviously I'm, you know, I don't think either of us really are anymore cause we've kind of managed to move out of that, but I still have a huge amount of respect cause most of the people in my family are still blue collar workers. Yeah. And so I, I really love that we've got people who, who do those jobs who think, no, oh, you know what? I'm still willing to listen to these two weirdos. And take what they say seriously. And that is, that is really cool. Well, as with anything, you can't talk about things unless you've lived it, usually, my experience. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, one last thing, as I mentioned, you know, we, we have our, our fans in the, uh, in the blue collar community, but we got a message on Instagram from Alex and I was going to save it for the email show, but I thought I'd share it here. Uh, just cause it was, I don't know. I kind of love it. Alex says, I don't know if you'll see this, but I hope you do. Wanted to say that I'm a huge fan of the ghost story guys and you and Paul. I don't think a day goes by. I'm not either listening to GSD or mysteries and monsters. So I almost always have one of y'all chirping in my ear. That, and as weird as it may be, you have a pretty big following at Goldman Sachs. I know, I know, Big Eagle Bank. But at least in our Texas office, I've recommended you guys to a lot of people who really dig your content. Just wanted to express some admiration, and I do plan on emailing in some stories of my own here sometime soon this year. And so <laughs> we, uh, we, we run the range, my friend. Yes. Well, that's good to hear. I've, I've had a few Texans on my show, so I'm, uh, I'm glad to know that somebody's listening down there in, uh, in the Lone Star State. And hey, Goldman Sachs, you want you want to help some guys out, you know? <laughs> yes, I wonder if I wonder if they've ever had to call a a paranormal investigator. And there was a famous incident here in the UK where they had to. Uh, there was a, a haunting in in a very well known British bank, and they had to bring in uh, a, a notable paranormal investigator to get rid of it, and he did. Um, really, and that kind of sealed him. Yes, and he's. Fucking name has come. Eddie Burks. There was a gentleman called Eddie Burks, who is also very infamous, famous. Anybody that listens to Danny Robbins's work, who's continuing to go from strength to strength after the Battersea Poltergeist and Uncanny, he did a recent series about a terrifying haunted house case from Wales, uh, which was known as the Witch Farm. And Eddie Burks was the guy that turned up and sorted it all out at the end. Fascinating. What what was the nature of what was going on in the bank? Uh, there was a haunting wandering around that was scaring staff and people didn't want to work there and things were going missing and lights going on and off and people kept seeing strange things out the corner of their eyes and it was it was quite a an annoying haunting. And uh, Burks came because he was um, very attuned psychically as well as involved in paranormal investigation and was able to kind of remove things. Interesting. I can't believe I've never heard of this. I will, I will try to find a link to put in the show notes, folks. Yeah. So Eddie Burks made the news headlines in 1993 when it was finally revealed that the Queen's Bank Coots had contacted him to deal with an alleged ghost at its pre prestigious Strand headquarters in central London. His intervention was said to have laid to rest the troubled soul of Thomas Howard, the fourth Duke of Norfolk, who was executed for treason in 1572. So, uh, so yes, I would not be surprised. It was it was quite famous, like I said, because I'm not sure how it ended up getting into the press. But Burks was known as a, as a as a very sly publicist. However, the bank didn't deny it. They admitted that they had called him in and uh, they hadn't had any issues after he'd been. I'll be damned. Well, thank you, Ray, and thank you, Alex. The man in the corner, from Jen. So I'm not from a family who senses this kind of stuff. We never talked about this. It's just like it didn't exist. Slowly, as I got older, I started sensing people near me. When I was about 20-ish, I thought I would see a dark figure in a wide hat and cape out of the corner of my eye, or sometimes he would dart quickly in a flash from one side of the room to the other. I hadn't thought about him in years until you brought up the same figure on one of your shows. I was totally shocked. A little more about me is that I have a mild form of synesthesia, I didn't know what it was for probably 20 years, but in situations where there were heightened feelings, when things were extra happy or extra sad, 
I would see colors in my mind's eye that had to do with those feelings. I didn't think anything of it. I thought everyone did it. Eventually, I began to see very thin but bright rings of light around people, but only in very particular circumstances, usually at a church service, but sometimes just out on a walk or drive. One day, I decided to tell my then 13-year-old daughter about the light I was seeing. She seemed to breathe a sigh of relief that I was seeing things too. It turns out she has synesthesia as well, but it's much more pronounced. She sees colors when she hears music. She sees people's voices as colors and even shapes or patterns, again, all in her mind, and knows when someone is lying because their color turns yellow. We call it her superpower. She also sees people in the house. This I had a lot of trouble with at first, but trying to be a good mom, I decided that the best thing I could do was just say, I believe you. Please tell me what's been going on. And boy, did she. There are so many stories, but here's a couple that have to do with our house. We moved in here when she was nine, and I thought it was weird that things kept falling off shelves, even when I put them firmly back and pushed them farther back onto the shelf. I also saw a tall man, dressed in white, walk behind me and into the living room. But when I ran after him, there was no one there. My daughter, though, she says there is a tall young man who comes into her room and stands near her closet sometimes. He doesn't bother her and doesn't want to chat. She normally greets him and then they leave each other alone. There's a little girl who moves her things. My daughter had a picture pinned to her wall with a thumbtack, and the thumbtack kept coming out and would be on her dresser with the picture. One night she got tired of it and tacked it in a new place above her door. Next day, same thing. Picture and thumbtack are on the dresser. Sometimes her guests are helpful, though. She had been told by another sensitive friend that there was someone dark and angry in the catwalk of the theater at their high school. My daughter wanted to go up there and take a look, but I told her it was best if she left those kinds of things alone. She still wasn't convinced, but a couple days later she said that a man had come to visit her in her room, and he seemed like he had a message for her, but she couldn't hear what he had to say. Eventually his color turned red. She said that she felt like he was trying to warn her, so she said, Are you telling me not to go up to the catwalk at school? His color cooled to a light green, which is a calm color for her, and she said, I could just feel that I had understood what he was warning me about, and he left. She didn't go up to the catwalk. Sometimes she can't find things, and after searching everywhere, she will finally say to her empty room, I really need that back, please. And pretty soon, her lost item will be somewhere obvious, like on her desk or on her neatly made bed. Another time, she went outside to empty the trash and came back in crying. She had seen the figure of a man behind her in the mirror of our van, and when she turned around, he was gone. She said, Mom, he was so, so sad. I want to help him, but I don't think I can. The scariest thing that's happened here, though, is that one night my husband and I went out for a drive and to get a drink at Sonic. Do you guys have Sonic? It's just a drive through burger joint, but they make something crazy like 50,000 different soda-based drinks. Oh, Jen, I know Sonic very well. We don't have it in Canada, but when I drive through the U.S., I buy one of their enormous slushies with a bunch of nerds candy dumped into it. It is diabetes in a cup. It's something like 40 ounces. It's incredible. When my friend Mike and I would drive across the country, we would stop there. And Anyways, this is not part of the ghost story, but yes, big fan of Sonic drinks. Food, mm, less so, but the drinks... 1,000%. Back to 
Back to the story. We left our daughter in charge. The other kids were asleep. My daughter was about 15, and we were only going to be gone for 20 minutes or so. When we got back, she had our youngest son, who was about five at the time, downstairs. He'd been asleep upstairs on our bed, and she was shaking. She said that her little brother had woken up and was crying, so she went to cuddle him back to sleep. But as she approached our open bedroom door, she said there was an evil presence in the doorway, laughing at her. She said, Mom, I've never been so scared in my life. But she also knew that she needed to get to her brother. So she said, I really didn't want to go in, but I couldn't let him cry in there. So I just ran past or basically through this thing and into the room. Then I picked him up and brought him downstairs onto the couch. I just stood there in shock since we'd never really had anything bad happen with our visitors. I told her I was extremely proud of her and that I believed her. She's a really bright and brave girl, even in more typical circumstances. By the next day, she was pretty nonplussed and just said, It was really scary, but I don't think it's around anymore. It's okay now. And was off again, doing her normal teenage stuff. I still don't see what she sees, but sometimes can feel a presence. One day, I was actually taking a bath and I could feel someone in the doorway of the bathroom. There's no door between the tub area and the bedroom in our master. It's a desert design thing. And it didn't feel positive. I turned off the music I had on and just looked toward it and said, I can feel you there. If you're here without any ill will, then you can stay. Just leave my family alone. If you mean us any harm at all, then I'm ordering you to leave. You must go. I haven't really felt anything since then. About 10 days ago, I woke up from a nap with a start because I could clearly hear the voice of a child or young person saying, help me, it hurts, and I could feel a pressure on my chest. It scared my husband, who was lying next to me, because I was so freaked out. I thought it was one of our kids, but everyone was safe and accounted for. A few days later, I ran into my neighbor. Our houses were built in the early 1990s, and she's lived in hers since it was first built. I asked her flat out if anything weird had happened in my house. She said, You haven't heard the story? I said I hadn't, but told her about what I'd heard in my sleep. She said, well, he was about 19 years old, and it was his own darn fault. I asked, So it wasn't self-inflicted? She said, No, it wasn't self-inflicted, but it was his fault that it happened. She asked if I wanted to know the story, and I suddenly felt like, No, I didn't want to know. She said, Okay, if you ever do, just ask me. Later, I related all this to my daughter, and I wasn't even halfway through the telling when she shouted, I see him, he's the one who comes and stands by the closet. He doesn't interact with her, so we figure he's okay. There's lots more than this that goes on with my daughter, but I've already gone on way too long. All of these incidents have made me a hardcore believer. Weirdly to some, I don't actually see any of this in opposition to my personal spiritual beliefs in God and Christianity. Just like Hamlet said, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Jen, that's incredible. What a fantastic story. Thank you so much. Your daughter is extraordinarily brave for just football charging through that thing. <laughs> Stunning. Man alive. I mean, we, we sort of went with, had the range from benevolent ghosts to evil ghosts to Sonic, which is delicious and I miss it. Did you have Sonic when you were in Florida, Paul? No, no. I was, I was still trying to deal with the excitement of actually visiting a real-life ta Taco Bell. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. I, I know people bag on Taco Bell all the time, but I, I, I like it. 
I was just very excited. I'd never been to one before. That and uh, Tic Taco Bell off. Red Lobster went there, wondered how they could serve a three-course meal so cheaply. You know, a pound burger somewhere in a mall. All the kind of crazy things you do. I couldn't eat that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the one pound hamburger? Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> I'm just going, <laughs> it's only $9. What, what's, what's the worst that could happen? And you got free salad. So it didn't really matter, did it? That I couldn't eat my bread. Healthy salad balances out the pound of, the pound of beef you just ate. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, incredible. Well, when we finally get you over, if we're, if we're in near a Sonic, I'll take you there. They're like a drive-in restaurant. And uh, you just place your order through the, the, the speaker, and then they, they bring it out to you in, you know, in your car. And mm. uh, again, the food's fine, but the, the real appeal is the, the enormous cups <laughs> of, of sugary frosted water that just make my heart <laughs> sing and my arteries constrict. Okay. Sounds good. And Jen, uh, Jen sent this in quite a while ago. I was, I was digging through the files to find some, find some different stuff for this show. So Jen, if you're still listening, thank you so, so much for sending this in. Again, we would love to hear more stories about your daughter. I mean, I also would love to know if you learn more about what happened in your home, because I got to say, I don't think I would be strong enough to decline that story. I would want to know, and then I would absolutely ruin my sense of security in my own home. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, would you, would you be able to pull that off? Would you, you know, if someone said, oh, you haven't heard about the incident in your home, and would you just be able to say, oh... No, I haven't. Have a great day. Or would you, would you have to know? I, yeah, it's, I'd probably... Well, I mean, you know, like we found out about what happened to the house next door to us during the war, you know. Oh, sure, yeah. Once somebody said, oh, bombs started falling around here, I thought, I wonder if anybody died around here. And then you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Asked and answered. Okay. <laughs> yep. Sometimes, sometimes you've got to be careful what you wish for. I think is, is the first yes. that comes to mind. Unfortunately, I'm, uh, yeah, I always dig past where I should stop. <laughs> That's how you ended up on this call with me, my friend. That's how you <laughs> ended up on this call with me. <laughs> Again, Jen, thank you so, so much for your story. Thank you to everyone who sent in your stories. We would love to hear from you. Send us your comments, your questions, your stories. Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the best place to do it. And we will share your stories here and your comments and other emails on the mini show, which will be out a week from today. For now, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope 
that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks as always to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, Joseph, and everyone else who's part of the extended Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore. You can find that on podcast platforms everywhere. And Luke is thankfully finally getting over his boat with shingles that really beat the shit out of him for a while. So Luke, we're glad you're on the mend. And of course, Joseph is host of the Cardinal Rule over on YouTube. If you're into football, that is the place to go. And Joseph co-hosts with me, Weird Together a podcast celebrating the latest and greatest in independent horror. If you want to hear about new horror movies without all the gatekeeping douchebaggery, Weird Together is a place to go. You'll find that on podcast platforms everywhere and via the link in the show notes. And, of course, thank you to my friend and co-host, the one, the only, Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson himself, host of Mysteries and Monsters. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? I've got a interesting deep dive into some of the other events that happen in and around Rendlesham outside of that infamous alleged UFO encounter in 1980 with uh, Philip Kinsella, which is a very interesting conversation in regards to a few strange things that went on in regards to that. So that's going to be nice because I've known Philip for quite a while. So it's the first time I've had to pick his brains on a variety of, of things. So that's that's good. And I still owe him and his brother a coffee from a few years ago when I met them at a conference. They're very lovely gentlemen, I have to say. They are absolute gents, both of them. And then Stu Neville from the Fortean Times returns. We talk about the world of Fortean TV. So we dive into In Search Of and Arthur C. Clarke, William Shatner's Unexplained, Josh Gates, and many things in between. Fabulous. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters across all social media platforms, as well as our website, which is mysteriesandmonsters.com. Brilliant. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can find my horror movie show Weird Together on podcast platforms everywhere, as I've said, and my interview show Largely the Truth with Brennan Store also everywhere. Find podcasts live. I'm also on the new social networking site, Blue Sky. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm there. It is currently invite only. I, it's, I'm not even really sure how I ended up on it. But regardless, should you be on Blue Sky, I think they're opening the beta up soon. Make sure to add me. I am also largely the truth. As we said at the top of the show, if you want more ghost story guys in your life, you want me and Paul yakking in your ear even longer, 
head to our Patreon at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Every episode, you get at least a 30-minute bonus conversation between me and Paul where we talk about movies or books or whatever it is that's going on in our lives, kind of just our our pre-show chit-chat that is exclusive to patrons and subscribers at Apple Podcasts. You also get Host Adventures, which is my weekly ramble, which I stole directly from Kev at We Need to Talk About Ghosts. And Book of the Dead, you get advanced episodes of that. I think the public episodes are at 29, and patrons slash Apple Podcast subscribers get, I think you're up to episode 67 right now, so they are almost a full, actually I think more than a full year ahead of uh, where the uh, public feed is. And then there's also, at, at, the higher, at the higher levels, you get access to the monthly live show with me and Paul, which is a video live hangout with you guys where you can ask questions, tell us what's going on with you. It's, it's a ton of fun. It usually runs about two hours, and we love, love, love doing that. And there's so much more. There are hours and hours and hours of content in the vault, and you can get all of that by going to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys or by signing up for GSG Premium in your Apple Podcasts app. And don't forget, if you sign up on Apple Podcasts, make sure to send us your confirmation because then we'll be able to shout you out at the top of the show. Apple doesn't tell us who has signed up. They don't actually even tell us that someone has signed up until the next month. So yeah, make sure to send us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com so we know to thank you because we really appreciate everyone's support. If you want to get in touch, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook as Ghost Story Guys. We're on Instagram as the Ghost Story Guys, and we are on Reddit at r slash Ghost Story Guys podcast. And Paul, do you have any spots coming up? Yeah, very kindly been invited back to join Supernatural Circumstances, so that should be coming up when their new season launches. I'm not sure which episode I'm on, but I'll be talking about Popper, the infamous Poltergeist case from the 1950s in the US, which still causes arguments to this day, but. Uh, a quick look at the facts will tell you that uh, I'm not sure why it was called Popper when the bottles involved were screw caps, but that's a different question. I can think of lots of things, none of them appropriate for this show. So we'll just say, <laughs> check out Paul on Supernatural Circumstances. When that comes out, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I was recently on Supernatural Circumstances as well. You'll find that linked at ghoststoryguys.com. I don't think I have any other spots coming up aside from that. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys gear, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. From there, you can buy yourself any manner of sweet-ass shirts. And when you do, you will get a personalized thank you video from me. Again, that's ghoststoryguys.com. And follow the links on the website. Shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. You can find their music streaming as Rainy Days for Ghosts on streaming platforms everywhere via Night Harvest Recordings, that is the Ghost Story Guys house label. And if you want to hire Jerry for your next project, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizzanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our old stories theme, which I guess is not in the show at the moment, but uh, will probably resurface at some point, is composed by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then... Into the darkness we go.
This sounds like the start of a terrible prank or a crime or both. <laughs> Walking in, they might be dead. Oh, or, well, yeah, that's a best case scenario. The <laughs> that's a best case scenario. Very Gerald's game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever have you ever been surprised by a stranger doing it in or out the bedroom? <laughs> Sadly, no. <laughs> Not for a long time. <laughs> yeah, fuck off back to Bob Bean. Yeah. <laughs> I should start opening a, a new window just for this browse, just for these episodes. I'm doing like 63 different things at once. Okay, now. Michael Schumacher's just trimmed past. I heard that. I wasn't sure if that was my side or yours. I don't think I'd say that to the Wendigo. <laughs> then we're in an erotic nightmare scenario and it's all very bad. Mm. Another rash of <laughs> by the Wendigo. <laughs> he was just trying to protect himself from the Wendigo and he went up like a firecracker. Oh, we've discovered the secret to spontaneous combustion. It was like the 4th of July in his pants. <laughs> I wish I could leave this in, but I won't. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Thanks, as always, to Luke, Sarah, Anthony, and... Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm Paul, by the way. Oh, hello. Nice to meet you. I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park